Hey, we started a series, a little short two-week series last week called Power Routines. Now, here's what I know about routines, and it's been proven over and over again. Like, there's a, let's try to break up the, the group here. So, let's say we took the far group over here that's sitting in that section in this group and this group. If we were to balance out the room and say, okay, here are the folks that their routine is basically it happens. I mean, you know, Monday morning it happens and it's their fault, right? Like Tuesday morning happens and it's their fault, but it's happening one way or the other. Then you take the rest of the crowd, you go over to this crowd and that crowd, and you say, now those are the folks who try to create a routine. They're about trying to get up and get after it and try to do something that's unique. Now, what we know and what we learn all the time is that when we are attempting to create a routine in our life, there's a purpose, there's a rhyme and a reason to it. I mean, there has to be some logic that comes away from all of this that say, why should I, Chuck, be a part of, of this grand part of a power routine like you're talking about? Well, I unpacked some stats from last week's service, so if you haven't watched it or listened to it, uh, go onto the app or go online and, and just find that and listen to it on a ride in from work or watch it online. But the big thought was this, that all the routines we have in the world don't matter much if we forget the fact that Jesus tells the story and he, he says we are branches and he is a vine and when we're grafted together, when they're connected, all those life-giving nutrients that come with the vine to the branch, then if he is the vine and we are the branch, if we don't remain, and, and many of your translations say we don't abide, if we don't stay connected there, what happens is we inevitably die. And this is what, this is what it looks like. Now, the, the entire story of Jesus is about choosing life or death. And so when he uses this story, this analogy of saying he's the vine and we are the branch, he's giving this picture that says, if you want to stay alive, remain connected. If you want to be spiritually dead, sever yourself. Now, what we know is that where in the time we were talking to people who were farmers and they were, they were agriculturally driven, Jesus is saying, so if you've got this vine here, common sense and logic says, if we remain there, we stay alive. If you cut that off intentionally or unintentionally, when you cut that off, you fall to the ground and it stays green for a season, but then it simply becomes something that's worthless and thrown into a fire. And the picture we were trying to make was in this concept of trying to abide, which means to remain, that when we choose to remain on the vine and the branch still living, then all the nutrients necessary to be a healthy growing branch are there. And when they're not, we're in trouble. We chatted about a few tools. How many of you at least one time this week opened up power routines on the app and tried to walk through that? Can I see your hands? Okay, so that's a little smaller percentage than it did the first hour. But uh, for the rest of you, you may not have known about it, or maybe it's just not woven into your routine. So, so absolutely not trying to cast anything on you, not trying to throw any shade your way, just literally trying to say that I really do believe if I could, if I could get anybody who comes into my office for counseling or anybody that attends this church or watches us online, what I would say is if you want to do one thing that will radically propel your life, not just spiritually, but, but, but emotionally and, and physically, every study on the planet shows that when we choose to be a part of contemplative and immediate and directed meditation, lives are radically improved. 
Now you can say, well, Chuck, man, that whole meditation thing, I'm not into that whole Deepak deal. No, no, I'm talking about meditation that includes just a handful of things, and I want you to listen to what that looks like. Where we start our day with, this is what we're great, grateful for. I really believe with all of my being that the one thing that propelled my spiritual life more than anything else was choosing to put gratitude at the top of my day. Because gratitude says that you, you are thankful for something, that you receive something from somewhere or somebody. Gratitude, in the way I per- perceive this in our time of meditation, gratitude is saying, God, I know all good things come from you, and I even know correction comes from you, and I know direction comes from you. So I start off by saying, Lord, I know that I need you. I know that this is where it's at. But then we also get to get this understanding that, well, when we do these things, when we start with gratitude, we move then quickly to Scripture. Now, I I find this to be fascinating that every study shown, and I read from the Pew Institute to CNN uh, to Gallup, I read all kind of polls this week about this. Overwhelmingly, here's what most people say when they claim to be a a evangelical, a born-again evangelical, overwhelming, three out of four people never even attempt to pick up their Bible other than when they are in a church building. Now watch this. You say, well, at least they brought it then. No, they didn't. Because if I took a poll in here right now that said, how many of you came prepared with either an app that's a Bible you can open on a device or a Bible in your hand, what we would find is that less than 40% of us do that every Sunday. So now think about it. 60% of the group that says, okay, we might be involved, they're not involved at all. Now you say, what does that teach me? That we're all a bunch of liars and cheats. But what it really teaches me is this. When it comes to meditation, things that I'm grateful for, what does God have to say in the Bible? What does that mean? And who am I praying for? It breaks out some massive assumptions in our own lives. And it breaks those assumptions off in the place where it hurts most deeply. We feel the sting when we choose to not live a life filled with gratitude. When our attitude is less than gratitude, what we're really saying is, God, I'm not grateful for a thing. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not grateful for what you've done for me. I'm not grateful for what you've provided for me. I'm not grateful for my job. I'm not grateful for my car. I'm not grateful for my family. I'm not grateful for my spouse. I'm just not grateful. And then you can say, well, you know, Chuck, I'm grateful, but I don't write it down. You know what I learned in the same study? That the difference in people that are grateful when they write it down versus the people who say they're grateful, but they never write it down is this one thing. If you actually write down in a gratitude journal, if you literally physically write down this is what I'm grateful for. Listen to this stat. You are 91% more likely to do something to help someone else that day than if you didn't write it down. Is that crazy? I mean, think about it. So that means that 9% out there would say, I really want to do something to help somebody this week. Opposed to, you know what? I'm busy. I got stuff to do. And let's face it, the Bible's not really relevant in 2018, is it? But my favorite one is when people say, I don't have time for that, Chuck. 
You don't understand. I, had to, I gotta get up, I gotta get going, I gotta get dressed, I, I, I gotta make breakfast, I gotta get the kids up, I gotta get them to school, I, I, I gotta fight traffic, I get to the office and I eat junky coffee and junky stuff, and then my day goes bad and by 3 p.m. somebody decided it was a great time to have a PowerPoint show that's a snooze fest in the conference room, then I get out late, I get in the traffic, I wait to get back home and realize I forgot the kids, go back to daycare, pick them up, get in more traffic, and then get home, and this is what I hear. What's for dinner? And you do it all over again tomorrow. Surely, surely the creator, God, didn't say, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to take the power I promised you. When I said, I have given you all authority, I've given you all power. And we said, but the best thing I can do with that is fight traffic. But what, what, what if you knew that I, I had an elixir and, and I had, all it took was a drop. And, and, and I said, now listen, I, I'm going to stand down front here and I'm going to take this little, this, this little vial of, of magic drops and I'm going to drop one on each of your tongue. And when I do, it's going to radically change your life this week. You would line up and offer to pay for it. Because you would say, man, Chuck, I can, I can trust you with that. Well, why then would we not trust in God's promise, not mine? When he makes promises like, remember my teachings and keep my commands and length of days and years of life will be added to you. Why would we not claim that? Why wouldn't we create a routine that is God-centric in the midst of the rest of our world? Now, if you're here today and, and it's like, man, you're, you're on the climb, you're moving up in your co corporation, you're building your own business, you're killing it out there, man, well, I don't want to make it. Uh, please don't hear me say this. Listen, I don't take on some missionary lifestyle here that says, hey, you guys, really, you shouldn't have that boat. You should have sold it and fed the poor. You want a boat? Go earn it. You want a car? Go earn it. You want to make a million dollars? Please go do it and then tithe. But what I'm saying to you is, <laughs> by the way, that was not Freudian. It was literal, very literal. Go kill it. Listen, I, I, at no time does Jesus say, tell you what you do. Don't become better at what you are. At no point does Jesus say, I'll tell you what, I came and I died and I rose from the grave so you could do not one blessed thing today. He came that we might absolutely, positively thrive and become the people of God he's always called us to be. But in the midst of that, we've got to build some routine in our life that would say, this matters. So today, I want to encourage you again. This week, open up the app. Hit the button that says power routines. Open up to that day. I promise you, I, I tell you it takes me about 15 or less minutes. But what I'm not telling you is the part of it that says, when I open my dialogue with God, when I'm communing with the creator of all things, I hit the green button, but I don't hit the red one until I'm ready to snore. I may spend this time that is directed in meditation with gratitude and scripture and the understanding of scripture and who I prayed for. And, and I've talked with you ad nauseum about the power I find in meditation, but I want to remind you that the heartbeat behind meditation is where the real power comes from. I've said this over and over again, and I'll say it some more. And that is this, every teaching of the gospels, every teaching of Jesus is always about our heart. 
Not the what we did, but the motivation and the heart behind it. So with that in mind, let's take a look at what the gospel writer Luke says in chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, now this is Jesus, Luke is writing about what Jesus said. And if you're wondering a little bit about Luke, like our favorite gospel writer often is John. Well, John writes about the things he saw and experienced. Luke is writing this after he's interviewed people that saw this. So Luke is looking kind of like from the outside in, and this is what everybody has said. I have proof. I heard this when Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, when I look at that, I think to myself, now, who is Jesus talking with? He's talking with us. When we understand the context in which Jesus is speaking, then we will understand the context in which we receive it today. He was saying to them, he was saying to Jewish people, hey, listen, there's a new sheriff in town, and here's what you can do. If, if you will simply die to self, I will have done everything you need. You see, Jesus isn't saying die to self means that all of a sudden you're going to try to get rid of all your vices. Jesus isn't saying when you pick up the cross, what you're going to do is you're going to quit doing those things that you love. Jesus isn't saying, hey man, you got a potty mouth now, so clean that out and then come. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. What Jesus says is this, if any of you want. Now think about it. The if part of it is it's there for you if you want it. But who qualifies for it? Anybody. You say, Chuck, but even me, most especially you. And you say, but Chuck, you know, I am a total, I mean, I've radically screwed up my life. I have no idea to do what I'm supposed to do. I know this is especially for you. You can get a PhD and I don't have a clue. I always like it when people tell me stuff like this, but I don't know the Bible, Chuck. And when I try to read it, it makes no sense. Okay. Here's what I know about reading scripture. If you have a heart and a desire for scripture to speak into your life, stay at it. Stop trying to read your way through somebody's plan and go to the Gospel of John. Read a chapter. It will take you about 12 minutes to read a chapter if you're a really slow reader. And at the end of that time, just say, hey, what did Jesus say about himself? And two, what should I do about it? You say, well, Chuck, that sounds terribly simplistic. I know. Listen, if somebody with my, with, with, with my intelligence can read it, imagine what you could do. I mean, seriously, I, there's no brainiac thing here going on here. And yet every time I read the story of David and Goliath, I get something fresh and new. That's why it's living and breathing. That's why it cuts to the marrow of our bone. You say, well, Chuck, it's just not relevant. I want, to hear a, I want to hear some hip dude unpack it, man. And, but here's the problem. This, this isn't about who unpacks it. It's whether you believe it. This isn't about who delivers it. This, this is about how, how your willingness to receive it. And you think about it and say, okay, so, so it's a, a matter of if, but then it says, I got to give up. Well, I, don't, I don't want to give up, Chuck. That doesn't sound like fun. I don't like to give up. Okay, hear it in this sense. What if, that, what if that phrase sounded more like this? If you really want your life to take on a totally different trajectory, which is available to any of you, then do this. Step away from trying to control everything yourself. Give him the keys to the car. 
and he will radically change the trajectory of your life. You say, well, Chuck, it sounds like hocus pocus. No, because I'm actually the recipient of it. I, I felt it. I've heard it. I've known it. I've seen it. I mean, nobody could have messed up their life more than I tried to in high school. Nobody. And, and yet, I'm more fulfilled today than I've ever been in my life. I, I really do believe when you jump in here, you see a handful of things. The first one is this. Every day, every single one of us make a choice. And I think the choice starts with this. Are we going to choose to allow Jesus to do what only Jesus can do in your life? Now, now a lot of us, we, because we don't really know Jesus, we're not really sure what to expect. Like, what, what could he possibly do for me? I mean, Chuck, I run, a, I run a pretty good department at work, and I'm pretty successful out that. What, what on earth could Jesus, pro, what on earth could he do for me? Oh, my stars, what, what, if, what if he directed relationships around you that gave you that spouse you've been desperate for? What, what, if he, what if he brought people around you that could love you and value you and you them and build relationships that last for an eternity? What if where you have relationships now that are falling apart, he might could mend those together? What would happen if you actually believed that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, gave his blood and gave his life, buried in a tomb, rose three days later, and he did all that without breaking a sweat? What could he possibly do for you? Everything. Anything all things. But the challenge for us in this westernized American society is to figure out, I can trust that Jesus can do it even if I can't understand it and control it. You say, well, Chuck, I I, want to be able to do that. Well, remember how it starts. If any person will. Will what? Allow Jesus to do what only he can do. And you say, well, Chuck, I don't forgive well. Great, let him do that. Chuck, I'm not, I'm not really a great communicator. It seems like every time I communicate, I dig a bigger hole. Great, let him fix that. Chuck, my marriage is falling apart, but I really want to try to save it. Let him do that. Chuck, my marriage has been over for 10 years, and I'm still so bitter and angry, I want to club somebody to death. Please let him do it. Chuck, my kid is just off the rails. Let him do it. I need, I need a fresh wind in my life. Chuck, I feel like I've been paddling upstream for 30 years. Let him do it. But what do I have to do? You're missing the point. He's already done it. You don't have to do it. You just have to let him do what only he can do. There are some things in life that only Jesus can do that you can't do. But he, in America, we love stuff we can do because then we get to show what we did. Like, I thought about this over the holidays. Like, we had some folks over for dinner, and I had made a mantle to go over our fireplace. Somehow, I, I took the building of that silly mantle, and I injected, I built the mantle into every sentence, question, or conversation all night long. And do you know why I did that? I wanted somebody to say, wow, look what you did. Rusty was one of them. He never said it. It's like totally severed our relationship. But I'm seriously, don't most of us, most of us don't come to Jesus asking or allowing him to do what only he can do. We come to him like a genie in a lamp and say, if there's any possible way you might could do this, but don't mess this up because I like to get my nails done at noon. Well, not me, but you know what I mean. 
I think the second thing we do is recognize it's our call. We, we get to choose how much of God we want. Like when you say, well, Chuck, I, how could you possibly know how much God I have? Well, I can, I can figure it out by asking you this question. How much of God do you want? When we put Jesus at the top of our lives, this is why we say around here, we believe the Bible's a big deal, but the single biggest deal is Jesus. That all the other stuff that we get worked up about, all the other stuff that get whacked out about, all the other stuff that we like to point at somebody else and say, yeah, well, what about them? All of that gets corrected when we get Jesus in the right priority in our life. And you say, well, Chuck, you've been here six and a half years. Isn't it time to move off of that one? Well, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you looked in a spiritual mirror? Ouch. Folks, listen, when you think about a routine, ask yourself, did I give any slot of my time, one of the most valuable commodities I have, have I created any time for gratitude, scripture, understanding, and prayer? Have I done anything to make that happen? Jesus came along the seashore and, and he looked, he, he looked at, at, at Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and he said, come follow me. And the scripture says, immediately they're gone. He goes to the sons of thunder, James and John, come follow me, gone. And you look at that story and the one word that pops out is immediately. I mean, the one word that jumps out of this, they didn't really, there was no chance to overthink. It was like, I'm in, I'm all about it. Jesus came walking by the seashore, saw these four fisher boys and said to them when they were probably about 16, 17 years of age. And he said, come follow me. And they didn't say, hey, what's the pay scale? They didn't say what kind of benefits you have. They didn't say, where are we going? They didn't say, do I get a corner office? You know what they said? They're in. Immediately, the scripture says, drop the nets. They're all in. Isn't this what Christ has called us to? Because remember, if he's not in first place, he's no place. Jesus refuses to take scraps. He will not be third place with you. He will not be second place with you. He will not be fifth place with you. He is only satisfied when he gets to number one. You say, well, Chuck, that sounds a little self-serving to Jesus, doesn't it? Remember, this is the only one that died and shed his blood, allow his body to be broken, buried in a barred tomb, raised from the dead, and went to sit by the right side of God the Father in heaven to create a home for all of you who believe. I would say he's earned that right. You say, well, okay, Chuck, I, I get that. All right, so, but help me out. I believe the third thing you do is you really, you, you give him the keys to your life. I don't, guys, how many of you are dads? Dads around here? All right, how many dads who have had a kid learn to drive yet. You've, got, you've had a kid drive. Okay. Is it not the awfulest feeling when they drive off the first time in your car? One of our daughters parked a BMW I owned years ago on top of a brick mailbox. I mean, like on top. I was speaking at a place in Oklahoma City and the phone call came and it kept buzzing in my pocket while I was speaking. About 30 minutes later, when I'm done with my deal, I call, and Amelia says, Daddy, which always means, oh boy. <laughs> and she's telling me how they nicked a brick mailbox. I caught a flight later that night, and when I got home, I wondered where my car was, and she told me where the mailbox was, so I walked the one block behind, and I saw the front left wheel about I don't know, three feet in the air. And I, I saw literally just like my car on top of a brick mailbox. 
And, and I look at that and I think to myself, you know, there's, there's something in the midst of all this story that says when you give Jesus the keys, you don't have to worry about the brick mailbox. He's going to drive it better than you can. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need State Farm. He doesn't need Nationwide. He doesn't even need Peyton Manning singing Nationwide for him. Just give him the keys. This is the whole concept of abiding. Take the keys. You got it. But then finally, I believe, he, he says, I need you to do your work. Like, G- Jesus did not, did not give his life and sit by the right hand of the Father to create a place for all who believe so that we could sit here and be lazy. I mean, he's called us specifically to take up our cross daily. And you say, well, Chuck, I've always wondered, what is that old cross thing? Does he literally want me to pick up a cross and take it on Marta tomorrow? No. No. If you do, you're going to make the news. You're going to look so weird. I, I don't think, I mean, Jesus calls us to something really special, but I, I don't think he's ever called you to be a weirdo. I mean, no, don't do that. What is this cross we're picking up? We are picking up the identification that Jesus did indeed carry that cross for us. And when we pick that up, what we're literally saying is, my desire is to be holy by spending more time with him. My desire is to be righteous by having been with him. My desire is to be blameless because I've been forgiven by him. Literally in the Great Commission, Jesus has called us to be about his work. As we go, tell the story of Jesus. Do our daily work. Take up our cross daily. But maybe our greatest responsibility is to be willing to live the gospel in our life, even when we don't know what it is. Because you see, there's, there's this concept in thinking in our world that would say, okay, as a Christian, I know everything there is to know. And then over here, just as an intellectual being, I know most of everything there is to know. The the challenge on both those assumptions is this one thing, that you cannot put God in either of those boxes. He can and he will do as he pleases, when he pleases, the way he pleases, with whomever he pleases. Jesus was willing to do all of this for you. You can literally allow Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. You literally can prioritize Jesus at the top of your life for tomorrow morning. You can choose to hand him the keys to your life. You can do your daily work. And you say, all right, Chuck, but how do, what do I tangibly do? All right, watch this. This, Stick with me here, all right? You download that app. And you want to use another system, download somebody else's app. You go to Uversion, they'll have kind of a version of this. In the context of just kind of hanging around at Sugar Hill, open the app, hit power routines. Tomorrow morning, start your day. If I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for this. Good start. Right after that, you read a piece of scripture. Right after that, you read a piece of commentary that kind of explains the context of that scripture. And then you pray and you just write down inside of that, here's two or three things I'm praying for. And you say, well, Chuck, I... I don't know if I can do that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not very religious. Listen, I want to make this clear. The more religious you are, the harder this is. The more religious you are, the more, to be religious about that is to set a clock and, a, and it's going to ding because you've decided I'm going to meet for God for 30 minutes. Listen, God's not impressed by our timers, our hourglasses, or our watches. He's impressed by our heart that longs to be with him and know that we tap into all of his life-altering power. This is indeed a matter of the heart. And second, we're going to sing a song before we leave, and 
it's, it's a song that says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. We've, I've been singing this for years. But in the context of what do we do in these things that we're truly making a part of our routine, we're, every morning I choose, Jesus, I'm going to let you do what only you can do. I'm going to be aware of what you place around me. I'm going to know that in every circumstance and in every challenge and in, and in every joy, you, have, you, are, you are working all things for my good and your glory, and I'm going to trust you for that. And I'm not going to fall apart when it falls apart because I know you're even in the falling apart part because you like to build me back when I fall apart. I'm so glad I didn't write that. So you start at the beginning, just like this song. Lord, I need you. If you want to be grateful for something, start with this. Lord, I need you. And you're always there. You're never, you've never moved. You never had to forward your email to him. He's there. Lord, I need you. If you really want the power in the routine, stay the course. What does it say? Lord, I, I need you, but oh, I need you more. And then, and then if, you, if you really want to get into that power, now we've got holy habits building up inside of our time, then it's every hour I need you. This is what happens when we start our day with the things of God. We will continue our day with the things of God. But if we don't determine that the things of God have any value in our life, it doesn't continue. So I guess the question is, are you ready? I mean, there's an old, old hymn, and, and, and the words go like this, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Why not just turn the light on? Why not jump into a power routine with Jesus and say, here's the keys. I've made you number one. It's not about me. It's all about you. And, and Jesus, I, I want to do my part. Here's the greatest news I could tell you. It's your choice. You pick. The degree to which you want the power of God in your life, you pick. Father, thank you. Give us a heart to choose you. God, we've got folks in this room who have claimed to be followers of you for 15, 20, 30 years. God, they forgot all about what it's like to surrender their life to you and to die to self and to gain with you. Lord, remind our soul that regardless of what our church background has been, regardless of what our faith system once was, your mercy for today was fresh and new, and it will be tomorrow. Give us this routine that becomes a holy habit in our lives that what we're, what we're striving for is to simply live more like you, not, not more acceptable to a church, not more successful to a pastor or a priest, but God literally tapping into the vine and the restorative nature of what you can do in our soul and only you can do. So God, as, as we sing, we need you. God, remind us we really, really need you. So before we sing, we did this a year ago last week. And these tables up front, they've got all these flat rocks and Sharpies on it. And I, I, I had no plan to do this earlier, but I, as I was preparing the sermon, I couldn't help but, but stop and think that last year, a little rock that said courage motivated me all year long. 
Some of the stuff when I said, God, I want to be a courageous leader, some of that stuff, I mean, I kind of regretted praying for because I, I had some stuff, man. But then I heard from a lot of you about how taking the time to, to figure out what was it that was keeping me from this power. What, what could I build into a routine that would, in that routine, would do something extraordinary in my life? And, and so the other day I said, Beth, let's get these rocks. So I'm going to ask you in just a second as, as our team begins to sing, Lord, I need you. You're welcome to sing along. You're welcome to sit there. But I want to invite all of you. You don't have to rush up here at one time. But what would be like, what would be a word that this year you would say, if I could, if I could connect with that word on, on a day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute basis, I believe these power routines would fuel me through every day. But here's something that I've, I've got to work on in my life. This is something that I want to be in my life. Last year, my word was courage, but when I did mine in the first service, it, I kept coming back to something I'm not good at. I kept coming back to consistency. I want, I want, to, be a consistent, I want to be a consistent student of the Bible. I, I want to be a consistent leader and a pastor. I want to be a consistent father. I want to be a consistent grandpa. I want to be a consistent husband. I, I want my consistency to grow more like Christ. Maybe yours is forgiveness. Maybe, maybe yours is relevance. Maybe yours is power. Maybe, maybe yours is, I don't know what it is. Jen and I took these and we laid each of our rocks by the coffee machine where you couldn't help but see it. Because neither of us are really fit for man or beast before at least the first coffee. And all through this year, I'm telling you, man, it just, it just kind of resonated in me to be a courageous leader. And already today, it's been, I want to be a consistent leader. What is it that will keep you from these routines? Will it be commitment? Will it be patience? Will it be forgiveness? What is it? What is it that, that will separate you from the group that says, no, yeah, I hear Chuck, whatever, that's just Chuck, it's just preacher talk, man. Doing all this stuff wouldn't make a difference in my life. Listen, I, I am living proof what what this consistent meditation will do in your soul and your life. And it will radically change you, all for the good. So as we begin to sing, you just come on, pick your rock, write your word, take it back with you, place it in the most prevalent place you can where you can't miss. By the way, the first words of this song say, Lord, I come and I confess. And what we're confessing is, before you is where I find my rest. Let's sing, team.